Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, and I have a very special guest with me today, the fantastically talented musician, actor, I'm going to say rock climber, Christian Kane. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, um, I, I know I said it a moment ago. I'm a huge fan of yours personally. I've been following your work for quite a long time, and anytime you go to a new show, I will follow and tell everybody about it and uh, to, to come along for the ride. Um, hey brother, that's so, nice. So, almost paradise. Let's start with let's start with current day, and we'll work our way backwards. Um, sure. How did you come into this project in the beginning? What what was the what was the kernel the the idea? What was the blossoming of this show? It's very fun. It's a great it's a great story. I um I. I was on the I was on the on a tour bus with Skeet Ulrich, uh, one of my dearest friends in the world, and uh, we were doing we had done we done three things two or three things together. We were doing Fifty to One for Jim Wilson, uh, who was Kevin Costner's producing partner. We did this really great movie about Mind That Bird from two thousand and uh, anyway. So we were on the tour bus, and Dean called and said, "I need to have lunch with you." So I, I was in I came to Los Angeles, had lunch with Dean. He goes, "How would you like to do the Librarians?" I said, where do I sign? I'm in. And uh, at the end of the conversation, at the end of lunch, he said, well, I've got this beautiful project that you're perfect for. You're just not old enough yet. And I was like, oh. And, uh, you know, cut to five years later, he calls and he goes, I think you're ready. So we lived with it for a year, a whole year, uh, going in and out of Dean's head at Dean's office, talking about the character. And uh, exactly one year later, we flew to the Philippines and started filming. So very fortunate to be able to work with my boss and, and one of and my friend, uh, Dean Devlin, on this being our third series, Almost Paradise. And then I'll just go ahead and kick it off right off the bat. I don't know if you've heard, but they're rebooting Leverage. So I count that as a whole other series with Dean. So that's good. <laughs> so that's going to be, uh, this will be our fourth project together. Very fun. Very, very fortunate to have a boss, uh, the likes of Dean Devlin. Yeah, your your partnership is kind of legendary, at least in, in my eyes. The the fact that you've had so many, what really feel like home runs in, in the projects yeah. that you've worked on. And uh, I was talking to Dean the other day, and I and I kind of said the same thing. There there seems to be through the combination of the casting and the writing and everything, the shows and the projects that you two have been involved in seem to just kick off running. They don't have that kind of stutter start that a lot of shows do. How do you explain that? I, I, I have to, I have to give credit to the writing. I also have to give credit to Devlin and his mind. You know, he created Stargate. He, 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 you know, wrote and produced Independence Day. He, he did the Godzilla, the Patriot. You know, those are the movies I grew up with and I wanted to, and I watched and I wanted to be in those movies. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I'm getting to work with the guy that when I was home in Oklahoma, got, I learned about the, you know, that's the movies that kicked it all off. He's an action guy. He's a drama guy, a very big drama guy, but he also loves a little bit of comedy. And that right there is when you can put all those things in there. Look, we're not going to win a, a, a Golden Globe. We're not going to win. You know, there's no there's no category for us, you know, because we're not a drama. We're not a comedy. And, uh, you know, I don't even think they give action things out. But that's the kind of guy that I want to work with. And I think that it's in his mind and in his stuff. And John Rogers coming in to help out with his brilliance and all that kind of stuff on both of those series. Uh, it just it just helps out. They write stuff that I want to do, and if I want to do it, I think I'm a pretty good judge of character of what's on TV, 
and uh, and that means that other people want to too. And I'll tell you the secret. And I'm sorry to be long-winded here, but I'll tell you the secret. I've said this before. I come from the Garth Brooks school of thinking. Uh, Garth once said, and this is not verbatim, no matter where you were, no matter what tickets you had, no whether you were front row, no matter if you were you were back, you had a backstage pass. I'm still the one having the most fun. Garth Brooks said that, and I think that that's what we do. Even though, hopefully, you like the show, but we're the ones having the most fun, and I think it bleeds out into the to the living room, and people feel that, and I think that's why we've had the run that we've had. Well, I know I I definitely feel the fun, and that's that's kind of one of the reasons that I've always stuck uh, with following anything that uh, Dean Devlin has been involved with and anything that you've been involved with. Um, So one thing that I've I've personally kind of noticed, you tend to have parts that are very action-oriented, very physically oriented between uh, the turn uh, 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 towards the end of Angel where Lindsay came from, Leverage, uh, uh, Librarians, this – how do you differentiate? I mean, there's there's the story that differentiates and the characters, but everybody is different in the way they approach physicality. Do you take a mind to that in terms of fighting style and choreography? Do you and, and, and the choreographing team, uh, stunt team, kind of go through that? How's that go? I'll tell you, and I'll start with exactly where you wanted to start, and I'll try to make this quick. Um, so let's take Lindsay. Lindsay was Expendable. Christian Kane was expendable on Angel. Uh, I was recurring. I was never so. It didn't matter if I got, got hurt. And I really loved Mike Massa, who was the stunt coordinator, and also David Boreanaz, the stunt double. So I fought Mike the whole time because I was always fighting Angel. And if you remember, I wasn't fighting Angel. Angel was beating me up, and so was every other girl on the show, from Stephanie <laughs> Romanoff to Julie Benz to my dear friend Juliet Landau. We just did a project. And, uh, and so I was just getting beat up by a bunch of girls. So I was in New York and I was doing taxi with uh, Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. And I get a call in my hotel room in New York and Joss says, you want to come back? And I talked to David about it. And David, I think, kind of nudged him. But you don't really nudge Joss. If it's not Joss's idea. It doesn't. So Joss wanted me to come back. And I said, is there any way I can just come? Is there? I, I said, yes. I said, We're, absolutely. I'll be on the next plane as soon as I'm done. Um, can I not get beat up by any more girls? And he goes, just trust me. So the very first scene up is if my mom came in to, to visit, just happened to be there, is Spike, uh, James Mars is throwing me around a strip joint, beat me up. And I looked over at Joss and I was like, come on, man. <laughs> and he goes, and then I got my, so it was very, very fun. And so that was just me getting beat up. But I did my own stunts because Mike Massa allowed me to because I was expendable. Then comes leverage. They wanted someone that could do it. John Rogers was a, was, a, was, a, was an angel fan and knew about my physicality through other projects and stuff. And so Elliot Spencer was Elliot Spencer. It was a lot of Krav Maga. It was a lot of Kali fight, uh, close-knit stuff. Not, not big. You never saw him kick. He didn't swing for the fences. And so that was his, and that's just his. That's Elliot, and that's how it is. When Jake Stone came up on the library and Dean had a conversation with me, and he said, you have to unlearn everything you know about fighting. I said, okay. And he goes, he's a bar brawler. And I say, so basically you want me to go back to what I, st- what I used to do in Oklahoma. <laughs> so I said, I know this guy. So it was very, very specific that Jake never threw elbows. He never, he started towards the end because he learned from the monkey king and all, you know that story. But the fact is I, I had to start off like this 
instead of just instead of like instead of like this. It's, it was a different style. So when we talked about Alex Walker, I didn't know what to do because he's a mixture of the two. But Dean tells a funny story that I didn't even realize I was doing is that I would be fighting and I would fight someone and I'm like, no, stop. He goes, that's Elliot. And I do it again. I go, no, stop. That's Jake. So I was creating his own style. I don't remember it, but I know I did it because I saw it on film. So it was a completely different style. It was, you know, the, he's ex-DEA. He probably had some military training. So he's he's in between Elliot and Jake. And, you know, now I've got to, now I've got to juggle Alex Walker and Elliot Spencer all over again. Uh, so that's going to that's gonna be fun. But that's my dance, you know. Uh, some people, like it, one guy does the salsa and one does the tango. If you don't know about dancing, you don't know the difference between the two. But I do. <laughs> well... That is uh, kind of what I, I, I imagine, you know, every, every fan has it in their own mind, how they think that things are playing out. And I'm a little nerdy. Yeah. I'm a little nerdy. I look at the, I always look for the little behind the scenes pieces. One of yeah. the, the neat snippets that Mr. Devlin uh, let loose uh, when we spoke the other day was that there were some key differences between how things are handled, say, in Los Angeles in terms of producing a show and how things are filmed and done in the Philippines. Were, yeah. there, were there any neat little nuggets in that kind of clash of styles that you saw that you go, wow, that was that was something neat. I never really thought about it that way. There's a lot of minor stuff that I thought, wow, I'm taking that with me. A lot of stuff I will take with me to, to my next project. And, but, you know, those guys over in the Philippines, they're used to filming 24 on and 24 off. I don't know how they do it. Um, so that was that was hard because, you know, th those guys never got tired. They were incredible, you know. They, but it's th there's, there's certain things that I learned – we go, we go, I'm used to going hard because I was always second unit on fights, but these guys go hard. These guys, uh, everybody in the Philippines seems to know a little bit of martial arts, which I found fantastic. And, uh, the stunt, the stunt guys are willing to throw themselves under a bus, under a train. And, um, you know, we don't want them to, but they will. And so I had to, I had to calm some people down. I'm like, dude, you don't have to go that hard. You know, it's like, it's like, and plus, you know, you, you swing that bat, you swing it too fast. You're not gonna be able to see it on camera. Uh, never in a, in a, in a scary way. I was never scared, but, uh, but I really honestly probably don't have the experience that Dean had. And I'll tell you why, because when I got over there, I never felt like I was out of place. Those guys welcomed me with open arms. I never felt like a foreigner. I never felt alone as an American. I felt like that was my family and they'd become my family. So Dean probably has different stories because Dean came in, then he left. Mm -hmm. He came back after it was almost over in direct episode. I'd been there for five months at that point, so I was uh, I was one of the locals. I was Dan. You couldn't tell me apart from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> he did also mention in the casting that you guys seem to have uh, some fun in 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 filling out the roles uh, that uh, Samantha and Arthur uh, now now fill. Um, and he said you kind of knew when you saw them that, oh, that's that's the person that is perfect for that role. What sparked about those people to you and, and said, yeah, this is this has got to be the one to play this? Well, originally I had a friend of mine that was going to play Ernesto and he wasn't able to do it. Um, and then so it was it was very so I went over there going, oh, here we go. So Dean took me to Manila to see to, to have a chemistry read. It was very smart. We're going to be around each other a lot. So we flew to Manila for three days. We flew to Manila just to meet everyone. I saw Sam Rochelle's tape. I thought she was fantastic. 
Uh, she had never really acted before, but I said, everybody starts somewhere. You know, I was thrown into the fire. I, I didn't, I didn't do a couple of little roles and stuff. I, I actually got cast as one of the leads on a show called Fame LA right off the bat when I was like 22, 23 years old. So I was in there and I, my whole, my whole motto and one of my mottos in life because you learn to fight by fighting, which is Bruce Lee. You learn to dance by dancing. You learn to cook by cooking. You have to do it. You can't read it in a book. And I said, give her a shot. And Dean, and Dean felt the same way. And I'm, I'm so glad that we did. You know, it, was a, it, it wasn't a roll of the dice because we both felt it in our heart. But, but she's never acted before in a, in a situation like this. So, and she's a trooper. She, she showed up every day. Art's a little bit different. Art played her nest and Art walked, and we did the scene, and he walked out, and I, you know, pat him on the butt, good job. And uh, then I turned to Dean, and I said, "That's the guy, that's the guy." And Dean goes, "I know, I know, calm down." <laughs> and then Dean goes, "Let's bring him back in to read for this other role." I'm like, "No, no." And he, Dean goes, "Just wait." So he did, but I just knew he was that because Dean had told me, uh, Dean had told me before we left for the Philippines to start filming. There's three. There's three. There's the structure is uh, is, is is there's three things. There's heart which is Samantha, there's Brains, which is your character, and there's Soul, which is Ernesto. And, and, and I could tell Art knew how to play the soul. And it's funny because, you know, you know, without if you watch the show and you're a fan, you can tell I lean on his character a lot to bring me back down. I don't know how not to be high on anything. You know what I mean? Like like high on this case, high on uh, high on Kai, high on, you know, just like he's all he's either amped up or he's not. And he always talks me off a ledge. And it was very important to hire Art in that situation. I was hoping you were going to say it was all the glasses. The glasses, I saw those, and that was immediately it. <laughs> Listen, exactly. But the problem you have is, is they created that. He created that little, and it was so funny because Dean started going, "All right, that's the move." When Ernesto takes off his glasses, you know it's go time. Everyone's picked up on it. No one's even picked up on my catchphrase this year, and they've already picked up on that. Oh. So that's a beautiful beautiful thing and the great thing is is that you know he didn't make that famous david caruso made that famous but he does it in a different way david caruso did it just to look cool yeah art doesn't whoop somebody's ass and i love that man. of course my my hat hat's coming know. off uh, time to uh time to go um right so um in a in to transition just a little bit um, I, we can't talk about your, your acting without also kind of talking about, uh, your music. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's found its way into your roles. And of course you have had several albums now that have done, done quite well. Um, uh, Mr. Devlin even said that there's going to be some music in, in this uh, season, uh, as well. And I'm looking okay. forward to that. So my question really for that is, where does your love for music come from? Who are your kind of influences that kind of pushed you into that? Well, you know, it's funny, but the influence on music, the why, why influence, I, I was, uh, I went to a lot of different elementary schools. I went to a lot of schools. Uh, uh, my dad was a very hardworking man and, uh, and he was in the oil business. And, uh, you know, back then in Texas and Oklahoma, I used to transfer a lot. So I was always the new kid on the block. I was always the new kid in school. It was very tough to make friends when you're the new guy. Um, so I would, I had an imagination, you know, and I used to go to the movies on Sundays and see like two movies. And I knew right off the bat that I would be an actor. I wanted to be an actor. 
I just wanted to escape things, and I thought this was a really great place to do it. Well, music does the same thing to you. I remember when I was 16, when I got my license, I got in my car, and I don't think I ever got out until I drove out of town. I would just drive around a square in my town and listen to music, and music really helped you and, and helped me. So I wanted to help other people, you know what I mean? And, and, the, and, I, and it's also the truth in my music. You're not going to hear me singing about being married or divorced or riding a tractor or anything. You know, I mean, I don't do that stuff. What I sing about is most of the stuff that I wrote, and it's all from life experiences. And so when you hear me singing it, if you hear my voice, then you know that I'm I'm trying to tell you the truth. And I'm trying to explain to you something that's in my head and in my heart. And I think that resonates with people because it's very important. Other artists have done that for me. Now, uh, to answer the second part of that question, you know, I was a country singer I like to think of myself more as a little Southern rock. We're more Skinner and Allman Brothers than we are Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw. Um, but they used to ask me, what was your influences? And I used to say a really dumb answer because it's not true. I used to say it was Elton John and, uh, and Lane Staley. <laughs> and it is true, but it's not true because... Bernie Taupin wrote all of Elton John's stuff, and Jerry Cantrell, who I later met in life, which was a very extraordinary day for me. My buddy Shooter Jennings, Waylon Jennings' son, uh, was a friend, and he introduced us in Los Angeles. Uh, but 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 I'm a Bernie Taupin fan. I'm, I'm a Jerry Cantrell fan. But I, I like music because I'm an Elton John fanatic, and I love Allison Chains. And so everyone thought that I was going to say a country singer. It's not, man. I don't, you know, it's not. I like the rock side of things, and I love the poetry of uh, of the words. And um, if those guys don't do it better than anybody, I don't know who does. Yeah, that's the huge Montaigne fan right now. By the way, man, I can't get enough of that guy. A huge too. Ray Montaigne. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of music so is, is 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 amazing. It can can all blend. Talking about not being yeah. that traditional artist. Uh, being able yeah. to pull in uh, blues, uh, uh, to be able to pull in gospel, to be able to pull in uh, alternative whatever to make that sound genuinely yours. Now, part, yeah. part of that's your instruments. I mean, I see several just beautiful uh, guitars behind you. Um, yeah. Do you have a particular favorite or do you have uh, you know uh, that one guitar? Man, I've always, always wanted to play this one guitar and I haven't been able to, to get it yet. <laughs> man i've got a lot of guitars what you don't see over there is the metallica guitar signed by the band of metallica these two behind me are uh are were given to me by my dear friend who's no longer with us chuck goff who uh was toby keith's bass player for years we had land together in oklahoma he passed in a, a horrible car accident and uh he i have those two basses that bass over there was the first bass he played with Toby Keith, and then that's the Chuck Goff, the little Chucky signature from uh, Dean Guitars. That turquoise one, I don't know if you want to talk about this, that turquoise one oh, yeah. behind me was given to me by the uh, the, the very talented, my best friend, Clay Crawford, who uh, played Martin Riggs on Lethal Weapon. I, I flew to Alabama to do a charity event, and he gave me that guitar, so that's a very important one. But... I think the one that's the most important is the little black one I have downstairs because I got that guitar when I was on Fame LA. And uh, they gave that one to me just to practice, and it became my guitar on the show, and then I kept it, and I didn't know how to play guitar. And Prescott Niles, the bass player from The Knack, was the music supervisor. You know The Knack, you know, my Corona. And um, 
Prescott Niles was the music uh, supervisor and instructor on that show and taught me how to play guitar on that black guitar. So I owe him a lot of stuff, and that black guitar is always going to be my favorite. That's just beautiful. Um, so, you know, the first time I was exposed to your music was actually in Angel, the the episode that uh, in, in Caritas. I think a lot of people. All right. Yeah, a lot of people. There were a lot of musically talented people around that particular cast. And one thing that occurred to me that I always wanted to ask, and I had never been able to be in a position, uh, unfortunately, the, the fan, fantastic uh, Mr. Hallett is no longer with us. Did you ever yep. get a chance to perform with any of your castmates, uh, uh, do anything like that? It's tough to talk about Andy, man, because I miss him every day. Um, here's the gig, and I'll, and I'll blow your mind if you want to go see it. So, uh, so me and Andy never really collaborated and stuff like that. But you know, he was. We, I, I had just barely come back on the show, and uh, and then, but but I worked a lot with James Marshers, and who's a very good friend of mine. Still played Spike, uh, and we do a lot of conventions and stuff to this day. Still together. We were just in Australia not too long ago. Um, James would come. James would come. He had this little cigarette case. It was a Marlboro Light cigarette case, but it wasn't. It wasn't cigarettes. They had turned it into a little amplifier. There was a plug in a speaker, but it was the size of it was put into a cigarette box. Nice. He would come into my trailer, and we would plug in, and me and him would sit in the trailer in our off time and just play guitar out of this little bitty amp built like a cigarette uh, box. It was fantastic, and so we got to play a lot, and we played together at different venues throughout the years. But we went to um, FedCon in Munich, Germany. And, uh, and there's two great stories about this. And I'll tell you the first one. I've told it before. You'll love it. Uh, I was riding in the elevator and I was going up and of course it's Star Trek and we were doing some other stuff. We had a show in, in, in Germany and we said, well, let's just go to FedCon. And FedCon said, just come in. If you want to set up and, and, and shake hands and sign autographs, it's great. So we did. And, uh, I was riding up in the elevator and, um, I forgot how to say his name. Well, let me tell you this story first. So, so we, we played a show that night, and, um, and Andy Hallett, I asked him to get up. And so Andy got up, and we sang two songs. One of them was Sweet Home Alabama. And if you go look at it, it's in Munich, Germany. It's me and Andy singing Sweet Home Alabama at FedCon in Germany. And, uh, and, it, was a, and it was a fantastic time. And literally, that was the last time I saw him was when we were on stage together singing Sweet Home Alabama and then uh, got the news he passed a little bit uh, shortly later. You know, you just, you never know, man. You never know. Make, make the most of the time we've got. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Let's, uh, let's do one. I got a few questions from some of the fans that came in and I'll try and, uh, uh, try and keep this, uh, pretty easy. So, what? <laughs> One of the questions uh, that I thought was pretty neat, uh, if you were to get a second season of Almost Paradise, is there someone you really hope you could get to guest star with you, and would you make uh, make that person a protagonist or an antagonist from Mary? You know, the fact is, is that everybody knows my buddy who we were just talking about, Clayne Crawford. Uh, he was Martin Riggs on Lethal Weapon. He was Quinn on Leverage. He was my nemesis on Leverage. I would love to have Crawford come in and do something. We fought each other so many times in life and on screen. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I would love to have him come in and play a buddy. We've been trying to do that for a while. There was talk of uh, maybe that happening on another show 
um, that didn't pan out. So I'd like to have him come in and play my buddy. He always plays my nemesis and all that kind of stuff. So it'd be fun to have him come in. I've already been in talks with him. Uh, well, you know, we're just trying to work out schedule stuff with him now. Hopefully he'll come and play. Uh, Riley Smith would be another good one who's on. Um, Riley is on uh, Nancy Drew right now. Uh, he was actually going to – I was I, I had I, – I had him coming out last year, last season, um, but he couldn't make it because they were filming Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I'm glad. I'd rather him film his own TV show than come do mine. But it would be fun. But I tell you what, everybody's kind of wanting, and I know the answer to this question is supposed to be somebody from Leverage, and I would love to have one of the Leverage people come in. <laughs> and it's Dean Devil. He doesn't play by the rules, man. So I'm sure somebody will come in for for a little vacation in the Philippines. It's almost guaranteed. Man, that 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 sounds like it would be just a, a blast. Uh, the whole the whole procedure, not just making the show, but being in the Philippines. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Now, I heard you talk a little bit about the food in the Philippines. Somebody had asked you about yeah. uh, Kane's uh, Kane's Kitchen and possibly bringing that back at some point. And there was actually a question kind of about that. If you could cook something for the entire cast and crew, what would you make for them? Well, I'm a big California Mexican guy, man. I love Mexican food. And when I say California Mexican, I love, uh, I, I, st- I still love Mexican food. I love deep, deep, uh, t- I love Texas, Tex-Mex with the red sauce. Uh, I like stuff from Oaxaca. I like the, the darker spices and blends down there. But I'm a California Mexican guy because I love the fresh avocado and the freshness of the fruit, of the of the vegetables and stuff like that. It's a little bit lighter and you can eat more of it, which is, I'm a fan of so uh, I would probably make some sort of a uh, like some sort of a Tex-Mex, maybe California Mexican bar where everybody just kind of serves themselves. I love doing that. I actually do that all the time when there's a UFC fight or something. Aldous Hodge will come over. Beth's been there before. We've invited Dean when we were in Portland filming Leverage. So I love to cook for everybody. I love having game night with my friends and family. Um, but uh, Kane's Kitchen is going to come back. I'm going to do Kane's Kitchen. When we get to New Orleans, I'm going to set it up and do Kane's Kitchen. And what I'm hoping for is a couple of other places, maybe Los Angeles, and then end up in the Philippines for the couple of the last one that cooks some Philippine, uh, Filipino cuisine. So uh, Kane's Kitchen's coming back. That's not something that's dead. It's absolutely 100% coming back, man. I can't wait. I know there are going to be a lot of people excited about that particular uh, thing, being back again. Uh, so... Okay, so now I got I got to go back to, to some of mine now. <laughs> um, I saw that you had at one point early in your career uh, worked for a talent agency, uh, a talent um, management company. Um, yeah, and, and kind of did that. Did that give you a perspective um, that that was really useful? Something opened your eyes in a way to the business maybe you wouldn't have had if you'd have just gone from the acting side? No. Not at all. I'll tell you what did, though. That screw the talent agency thing. Uh, I walked in and asked them if, if I made runs for them, would they send me on auditions? And they said yes. And a month later, I was lead on a TV show. I wasn't even there that long. <laughs> it was a Cinderella story. And thank them so much for believing in a kid. But not a lot of people know this. I was also an office PA. I used to go, I used to go, I stapled, I put together scripts. I made copies. I got bagels for everyone. That's where I started because I moved here and I didn't want to, I didn't want to take a, a waiter's job. I didn't want to bartend anymore or wait tables because then you're always worried about where are we drinking the night? Who's dating the host? This, you know, are we, you know, and, and, and what can I get off? You, you don't concentrate on the business. So I took a job where I was working literally 16 hours a day for no money. 
uh, as an office PA because I wanted to learn everything from the ground up. Then the transpo guy gave me another movie, and I used to, uh, I used to, I was a driver uh, on it on the on the transpo, so I saw all that, and then, you know they would pull me out and have me doing lights. So I started at the, at the I don't want to say rock bottom because that's a great place to start, but I started inside the industry at probably the lowest uh, lowest of the totem pole you can get. And when that job was over, I walked into a management company. I'd saved as much money as I can. I, I worked so much, I didn't have time to go out and spend my money. So I said, I'll make runs if you send me on deliveries. And that talent agency was so nice to me and sent me. And, uh, and I got the, the next the next job was was lead on a TV show, Fame LA, with uh, Richard Lewis and uh, Penn Denstrom and Jen. John Watson, uh, Trilogy Entertainment. They took a chance on a kid, and uh, and I have I really honestly haven't had a lot of downtime since them, since then, and because of them. So I like to thank them right now. They were so kind to me. Did you ever think about doing any uh, live theater productions, or have you done live theater in the past? When I was in school, I used to do live theater productions, but I was in a, I was in a I had a bunch of friends. I was in a pretty tough tough place so I didn't let them know that I was off doing theater I did Amadeus and Streetcar Named Desire I played the young collector uh you know three three and a half hour play Thursday Friday Saturday twice on Sunday and, and literally I had less than three minutes on screen I walk in and I say I'm here for the paper ma'am <laughs> and she said the most famous line ever I've always depended on the kindness of strangers <laughs> I got famous line out of the whole uh whole show said to me but uh, but it was very it was it was exhilarating. I just watched all these. I would sit there for a three and a half hour play for three minutes on on, on stage. I loved it. That is that is that is kind of beautiful. Um, yeah. So, okay, in a fantastic setting, um, a lot of what we do in our podcast, we tend to focus on um, comic related properties uh, through sure. te- television and movie adaptations. Are were you ever a fan of comic books yourself? Yeah, I was. I was, which is really strange that you asked that, and I wish I would have kept them, but I had the first run of the Blue Beetle. Oh, nice. I had the first run of the Blue Beetle. I was a little kid, and I would ride my bike to the store miles to this 7-Eleven that would give me the Blue Beetle. And it's so funny because years later, I, I, and I don't want to say this out of but I found out John Rogers wrote the Blue Beetle. Not the original one. I think it was the redo. But I used to. But I. But the only reason why, I, and I was GI Joe. I used to watch I, the GI Joe. I had the figures, but I also had the comic books. But the Blue Beetle, I saw number one, and I remember as a kid, I was like six years old or seven or something, and I said, "I get to start fresh," and so I grabbed it. And it wasn't my favorite character because he didn't have any superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, uh, but I just, I actually kind of loved it because I got to go and start my collection of that. But, uh, you know, I pushed, uh, I pushed pretty hard to play Gambit and the X-Men and uh, not the one that, that he, the guy actually played him, but the one before that. Um, I had an audition for X-Men and I was, and they brought me in for, to play, to, to be Angel. And I said, I'd like to decline this audition if you don't mind, because I really want to play Gambit. And uh, so I have the first the first issue where Gambit showed up, and that's kind of yeah. But I did read comic books. Oh, the Raging Cajun. Well, that kind of answered yeah. my other question of who you who you would play if you had your if you had your druthers. Uh. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that, that they talk about the Wolverine thing. You know what I mean? And, and it's uh, I'm not six foot four five like you, Jackman, six five. Uh, but uh, I mean, I could I could play Wolverine because I'm always mad. 
but uh, but it's uh, I think Gambit the coolest the coolest cat out there. I just think it's cool because he's got the magic. He's got the you know I already do the stuff with the staff. He's got he rides the motorcycle. He's he talks with a Cajun accent that nobody's gotten right yet. And uh, and you know a lot of people don't realize the love triangle that really happened with him, Wolverine, and um, what's her name. And I think that would be fun to play off of. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's definitely got a lot of meat that hasn't been explored in any sort of uh, audio video format, short of maybe the uh, cartoons. You can't throw him into for a five second, you know, cameo. It's got to be his own show. I think somebody should call me. I should go to Louisiana and would put it on HBO and do a Gambit series. That's what I think. I agree completely, especially now Thank that uh, the the X Men are are now in the in the firm and loving embrace of uh, Marvel <laughs> again. Maybe, maybe who that's thought possible. that was ever going to come crazy? Um. All right, let's go to another uh, fan question that we've uh, that we've got. Kind of another music question. Somebody uh, is very interested. When will we be seeing a new album from you, uh, from Louise? I'm working on some stuff right now. It's been very tough. Uh, Fred Curry is the uh, is the music supervisor for Almost Paradise, and a lot of people don't know he was he was on my wall on a poster on my wall for three years when I was 15. Uh, he's the drummer for the band Cinderella, oh. and. Uh, music supervisor on this and we've been we've been, i was in the philippines we were trying to write something over the phone and we were going to write when i got back but then this virus hit us and he lives so close to me so hopefully pretty soon we can open that back up uh i've been writing with my my guitarist hank and uh and my good friend riley smith we kind of have an ancestral band that we play together and me and riley and hank were writing quite a bit before uh before we left for the philippines and so now we're trying to write over the phone um there will be some stuff coming soon and you know, like I said, as soon as this is lifted, I'm heading to New Orleans. It's the music town. Of the, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not, you don't just make music there. Music throw, flows through your blood. So I'm sure I'm going to get that burn again. New Orleans is, is a heck of an environment to be in. It's, it's, it's yeah. one of a kind in the United States. I, yeah. I haven't seen anything like it. Um, yeah. So I'm a little behind. I'm only, I've only finished the first two episodes of Almost Paradise so far. And somebody mentioned that you wore uh, an interesting pendant in the third episode that yeah. didn't show up again so far. And kind of wanted to know how that came. Uh, was, was there some significance to that? Yeah, it's huge, man. It's this pendant right here. I always have it on. Ah, oh, nice. It's been on for a long time. It's been, uh, it's mine. It's, uh. I wore it as Elliot, every day as Elliot Spencer and every day as Jake Stone. But I couldn't wear this one because a lot of the scenes, some of the scenes I had my shirt off, some of the scenes we were doing, it was flying around a lot. And uh, the Philippines doesn't is not up and up on sound as far as America goes just yet. So it was making a lot of, you know, it was making a lot of noises when I would pat my chest. So I decided to take it off, but I wanted the character to wear it. So I found out, I said, well, I'm going to play the Spanish guy, so I'm putting it on. And that way it can be his medallion. So at least the character does wear it. Nice. Um, and so it was very funny because as soon as we wrapped, I, the first thing I did was put this back on. So, okay. Keeping along with uh, Almost Paradise, how do you see your character progressing mm -hmm. through uh, this season and potentially into the second season? What, what's the biggest area of, of growth and opportunity that you're hoping for? Well, I'm a big fan of it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we're going to keep on the track that we're on. Uh, I can't give too much away about the season finale. Mm -hmm. um, 
Dean does a really nice wrap up, which he always does, but he does it like solidify. He's, you know, nothing. It's still out there and open. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, um, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it's already been out. You know, Richard Kind was on the show. And if you saw how that ended, we always want Richard Kind to come back. Richard Kind has said he will come back. So you never want to, you know, like you never want to solidify things to a, to a point or take it to a, such a certain right. point that, you know, it's done and it's over. So we keep it open. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this, I, this will answer the question in a way that I can answer it. Um, last week, somebody said, well, you know, I, you, I, was, I was off with Richard Kine and then I did something where Kine Ernesto couldn't trust me anymore. And I was like, but that's the point. We were getting really, really close. We were starting to trust each other. Um, and if we do that, then we're just a team and we move on to soft crime. And that's no fun. So I did something that made them not trust me. And now we've got to climb that mountain all over again. And, uh, and that's what you got to keep people on their toes. You know what I mean? Dean's very good at that. Um, John Rogers has always been good at that. Joss Whedon was unbelievably good at that as well. Um, so you got to keep you got to keep them going. You don't want to you don't want to, you know, moonlighting when Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard got together. Right. It's over. Yeah. Can't do. Yeah. So we've got to keep uh, you got to keep people guessing. And that was the scariest thing about working with Joss Whedon was if you got too popular, he'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, it was true. Man. Yeah. Green got the bullet. Stephanie got the bullet. Uh, you know, Tyler Christopher, my buddy, got the I was the only one didn't get the bullet because I just wouldn't come in and do it. Yeah, I, I always I always felt really bad. It's like, oh, they finally got together. Oh, no. <laughs> so what's going to happen yeah. now? You know, but that's but and I'm not saying that about me, uh, Alex and Kai's character. I'm saying that about Alex and Kai and Ernesto. You know, that's it's if we become too much of a family, then it's over. Leverage didn't become a family till the last series. And we don't even know if we really are anyway. You know what I mean? Because we, we were there was still animosity there. So, you know, got to yeah. got to have that tension. So, OK, so one last thing. And this is my last question about the, the angel side of things, because yeah. uh, you uh, you portrayed uh, one of my two favorite characters in that show, um, Thank you. both of which died in the final episode <laughs> of season five of Angel. Did you know about how you were going to uh, end that that particular episode uh, in advance or you just kind of get the, the script and go, oh, you don't know this story? I do not know this story. I um, I knew before anybody did. The only person that knew before me was Josh. I had flown off. I had to fly out to Hong Kong. And um, I filmed my death scene about a month and a half, two months before we, we actually filmed the final episode. So there was a skeleton crew of six people that came in, me, Andy, and uh, and then Josh came in to direct it. And it was at five in the morning, so that before the crew got there, and we filmed it. Somehow there was a uh, there was a uh, mole in, um, in in Josh's office that leaked it out, but it was under wraps. It was supposed to be under wraps, and so I did that. But then the movie fell through in Hong Kong, or actually I, I didn't want to do the movie in Hong Kong. So I flew back and called Josh and said, hey, man, I'm not going to do this film. And then he started writing more. So I got to, if I wouldn't, if I'd have done the film, I wouldn't have been in the last four episodes. I would have shown up for that last little part. So it was fantastic. And so I knew that I was going to die away before anybody else. And uh, it was okay because I was going to go do a movie. But when I got back, I was like, uh, I don't think that I should go. I think I should be there for the final fight. And I've always been pissed about that. And then when Andy passed, it gave me 
I don't know. It was like sort of a little bit of healing. I'm like, you know what? Well, at least Andy killed me. And then he walked away. He didn't want to have anything to do with anything else. And so I thought it was a pretty good death. I would have loved to have been standing there with uh, my boy, Jay August Richards and, and, and everybody else. But, um, but it wasn't in the cards for me. But I'm okay with it now. I've made peace with it because it was my different Andy that took me out. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird to say. Yeah, that was that was a very nice surprise. That, that, what about the writing that you have been a part of in in uh, in the series that you had? Is maybe your your favorite part? Uh, what what is your favorite? Elliot moment. What is your favorite moment from the librarians? Uh, favorite moment so far from Almost Paradise? Um, you know what, man? My favorite Elliot moment was when he was in the he was in the courtyard talking to uh, to Timothy Hutton's character to Nate and the rest of the gang, and Hardison had found out that he'd worked for Damian Moreau before. You have to be a really big fan to know what I'm talking about, but. And then I looked over at Parker, and John Rogers wrote this uh, wrote this really good line. It was either John or Dean, I'm not sure, but it was like, uh, you know, Parker looks up at him and says, uh, you know, I said, I did a lot of bad stuff for Damian Moreau. And she says, what did you do? And I said, don't ask me that, Parker, because if you ask me that, I'm going to tell you. And it was such a good moment between me and her. But also, finally, for this character, I got to validate the fact that this dude was not good. This dude was a mercenary. He was an assassin. He was hitman. And now he's trying to change his life. And we always sort of touched on it, but at that moment, you knew it all to be true. Yeah. And so it validated my character. And that was one of the, my favorite times ever. And then there was another time when it was just me, Beth, and Aldous. And Aldous, we, we were, uh, the, uh, anyway, that's enough right now. We'll talk a while. <laughs> I'll take another hour. Uh, uh, Jake, um, Jake Stone was just a man among men. He just, he, you know, he was just, he was just a good old boy going through the motion. I think that, uh, I think finally when he uh, trained with my Derek, my good friend Ernie Reyes Jr., who, uh, you know, martial artist extraordinary, he He's played the amazing. monkey. Once I did that scene, they started letting me fight more, and there was more action, and so that's when I really started loving that character. Is when I was able to get out there and be physical again, and not, and be able to do the stuff that I wanted to do and the stuff I'm accustomed to. Alex Walker, you know, it's. I would like to say, well, the best, the best is yet to come. Episode ten is a very big favorite of mine. Uh, I'll, I'll use that. Episode ten is probably going to be my favorite episode for character development. Uh, my stuff between uh, Richard Kind last week and me, that was my some of my favorite stuff because you know it, it was so much fun to have Richard Kind, who's a very good friend, it's our fourth project together. He plays offense. I have to play defense with him. Uh, I love playing defense. You know, you, you, when you work with Angelina Jolie, the beautiful Angelina Jolie, the beautiful Brittany Murphy, you know, those are offensive players. So I kind of grew up playing defense. And so it was, it's very fun to have someone like Richard Kind who becomes the alpha male on the show. And none of my jokes work to cover up pain anymore. I've got to actually, you know, I'm hurting because of him. That was fun to play off my friend. And then, uh, you know, I think that speech in the very first episode where I talk about, you know, casualties of war, it was very well written, and it let me show you where this character has been right off the bat. That was a very fun scene for me, especially to show Sam's character, Kai, what he's really been through. That's a great question, man. Thank you for all of these. Oh, yeah. well, I've definitely appreciated having you on. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a rare treat to be able to kind of get a, a peek behind the scene and to, to see uh, where you're coming from as you approach the role. And, and kind of um, it's just uh, a breath of fresh air. 
Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Anytime you want me back, man, you let me know. Oh, I Leverage will. Come, Leverage comes on, I'll come talk to you again, Bubba. That is fantastic. I would love to have it. Um, right. Thank you again. Thank you, buddy. I will see you soon, and I really appreciate all this, man. Thanks for your support and your help, and uh, thanks for watching. Now, don't forget putting people to make sure you catch Almost Paradise on WGN America. Also, you can catch it on Amazon. It will air the day after that it would normally air on WGN, so you can get it very quickly. You can see everything that's going on with Mr. Christian Kane on his website, christiankane.com. That'll handle any of his appearances and his music, of course. You can get older shows that have this amazing actor in it just by downloading the Electric Entertainment app on Android or Apple. It has all of the librarians. It has leverage, and it's immediately accessible. It's available pretty much everywhere. And, of course, for the pudding guys, you can always catch us on any of our social media. You can catch us on Facebook and Instagram at Pudding Guys. You can catch us on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys. And you can catch us on Patreon at Pudding Guys. Uh, thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.